listening to the It's Always Friday the 13th podcast, the show that takes a loving look at every single one of the Friday the 13th films, one by one, and alas, we are at the end of the line, but we have a special treat for you all today. We have a guest, Ambush Bug from Ain't It Cool News, Mark L. Miller. I'm sure you know him as fans of the genre because he's one of the top reviewers and friends of the genre on the internet and has been for a long time. How are you today, Mark? Good. It's great to be here. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I've listened to everyone except the very last one. I listened to probably about three quarters of the last one, so I'm almost (laughs) all caught up. Awesome. Thank you. Really appreciate that. And of course, I'm also joined by my co-hosts, Vikram Week and Michael T. Kuchek. How are you guys doing today? What up, dude? How's it going, guys? Awesome. All right, Mark. Well, let's start here. Um, What is the early nascent beginnings of your fandom of Friday the 13th? How did it all begin for you? Um, I, you know, I think the first time I actually saw anything concerning Jason or, or Friday the 13th or anything, um, it, it was it was a long time ago. I think I might have been like 10 or something. Um, and my, my brother and I would be uh, like playing in the backyard and we had showtime. And for some reason, every night of the week, um, they were showing like Friday the 13th, one, two, and three. And we just thought it was amazing because, I mean, we didn't realize that there was like a lot of production going on and, and, and uh, the, the success of sequels were the, were the really the driver of the series. It wasn't really, it was all about the money. It wasn't about we thought it was like some grand story, like Lord of the Rings or something, <laughs> because it all it all did interconnect. So uh, it that fascinated me, and I just loved seeing the, the way the three films did kind of interconnect with each other. And uh, that's kind of the reason why I really like this podcast, because you guys do find a way to interconnect these, uh, especially the later ones um, and with themes and uh, things that have come up in the series, sometimes inadvertent, inadvertently, I think. <laughs> but um, other times I think that there are, you guys are onto something. I think. You don't think uh, Sean Cunningham had a master plan when it came to the bear imagery? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I get the bear imagery that you guys are referring to. I do think that there, there's something to that. Um, that's, that, that's something that's been they've been teasing us with that for way too long. So I, I, I'm hoping for a bear in, in at least one of these newer series. Now that they have some money behind it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they can afford a good quality bear suit, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> but um, also I, uh, I when I was in my teens, uh, my friends and I were kind of weird and. I actually made a Jason mask and um, I would actually dress up like Jason with a fake machete and everything and chase around my friends around our neighborhood. Um, And I would like be, I would have to walk. I would have to know that neighborhood pretty well so I could kind of sneak around and everything. And so it was really kind of like a fun game of, I mean, it's sort of hide and seek where I would just kind of bolt out there and chase after them a little bit. Um, But I was definitely the non- non-running jason i was more of a zombie jason i guess <laughs> Vic, <laughs> but, mike um, so yeah. uh, did you guys did you guys have jason masks i just want to know i didn't but for the record i don't think that's weird at all 
Oh, good. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm like... on the right podcast then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that seems like a really fun way to spend an afternoon. You know, yeah. I, well, I, it, it, was, it, it is. was at night, and we were we were still we were early teenagers, um, but we would run around the neighborhood. I'm sure our neighbors thought we were insane, but um, it was just a lot of fun just to kind of do that. I loved playing Jason. <laughs> yeah, well, me it too. Is I, it is interesting. I mean, you put a finger on one of the truisms of the character, and you have to know your surroundings in order to, uh, you know, it, it's it's knowledge rather than speed that lets you catch up catch up with your prey. Definitely, yeah, say- yeah. I, I guess I, I somehow I, I played Jason. I guess at some point in my life, I could, I'm in the the Kane Hodder alumni club <laughs> or whatever. But um, I would like climb on the roof and jump down on them and and uh, hide in the bushes and jump out and try to make it as close to the movie as possible, just because I was so in love with the series. That's awesome. Yeah, I did the same thing, and I even custom distressed my hockey mask. You know, I painted blood on it and you know got it all scuffed up and and dirty and i think i still have it um but i had several i even had the cheap glow in the dark uh mask and we uh, we did the same kinds of things and i made little home movies uh both with jason and and without him but always making little horror films in the neighborhood with my friends. It's one of my favorite memories of childhood. Absolutely. So beyond that, like what's something else that you just love about this franchise um, overall? Like what is it that keeps you, keeps it alive for you and keeps it so close to your heart to this day? Um, You know, I really like um, just the fact that they haven't really made perfect Friday the 13th film yet I don't mm-hmm. think um, and I think there's there's just that optimism in me that, that it, there are so many cool moments and you guys have touched upon them so well in this in this podcast uh, of just what makes Jason cool and what makes just this whole series cool and the story um, the depth of the original story and um, and and I mean it, it when you return to the story there in the later kind of series, it does kind of dilute it a little bit, but um, still I think that there's a depth to it that kind of was touched upon in uh, Freddy versus Jason. Probably it, mm-hmm. it's probably like, that's one of the ones that, that one of the more recent ones that uh, actually touches upon that depth um, of Jason as a character and kind of like the mythos of, of Friday the 13th. But um I just love that, um, like I said earlier, the interconnectivity between the first four and how tight it is. And even up through, I don't know, I guess six, um, where it is sort of telling one long story. I mean, John or Tommy was uh, played by three different characters, uh, but still you're following one character through three, three movies. And so it really felt like there was a three-way through those first three films or for those first six films, at least. Absolutely. Absolutely. And looking back, Mike and Vic, we'll start with you, Vic. Um, now that we've been through all of them, I mean, are you equally weighting the various, like we'd like to split them into, into four, you know, like mm-hmm. there's the core four, then there was the second four and we just made it through the last four. Vic, uh, are you like ready to go back and watch the first four again, or do you kind of feel like uh, 
they're all they all have their merits and basically you would you would delve into any of these quadrilogies <laughs> uh, at any point no i mean i think it's really clear that the the last four are well and that's actually that's not even fair because i think freddy versus jason is a pretty strong film and even the the uh the remake the marcus and spell remake has its its merits but the the first four films are where we get the the cultural impact that Jason has had on on our society. And that's one of the things I've been thinking about a lot leading up to this podcast in particular is that you know there there are three horror franchises, really. I mean, it's Friday the thirteenth, a nightmare on Elm Street, and Halloween. Um and I think the the highs of A Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween are higher than the highs of even the best Friday the 13th. As Mark said, I think there is a great Friday the 13th film that that still waits to be made. Um, Maybe it's the Quentin Tarantino one. <laughs> ideal. <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, and yet somehow I think that Jason is more culturally dominant. That yeah. he is what we associate with Halloween. He is what we associate with horror uh, in a way even more than Michael Myers or, or uh, Freddy. And the reasons for that and the, the reason that this podcast has been so amazing to do, it's encompassed in those first four films. That's where you find this thing, this this element of it that latched on to, to each of us individually and latched on to us as a society. I think those are the sport, the. You know, yeah, you can yeah. you can parse out stronger elements of each of the other films, but I think that the the that's what I would go back to. Um, I'm with you. Uh, yeah. Let me hand it over to you, Mike. Um, any riffing on that, or take us in a different direction? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I, I am a little off uh, center uh, versus the three of you guys because I I as much I never super loved these movies, you know, I, I, I mean, there were some that I liked more than others. Uh, there are some that like, I really liked like two, uh, but I never went full all the way down the road. Oh man, Jason Voorhees is like the coolest guy ever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, to the degree that I, I, I mean, you know, as I've pointed out, like I actually checked out of the franchise after like eight and even eight, I only like, kind of like, you know, meandered into catching on cable one day. I'm like, that nah, is terrible. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I kind of had to be sold a little bit more than the rest of you guys, you know, and um, I think doing this podcast, like I've actually come to fully with both hands embracing the love of the franchise and of the character at long last. Uh, but at the same time, Mark, I, I think you brought up a really, really interesting point, which is there is a platonic ideal of a Friday the 13th movie that resides in the minds of every single fan of this franchise of this character that does not yet exist and is, I think, different for every single fan, you know? And uh, I think that's what engenders such deep abiding love for this. And I mean, above and beyond the fact that I am for uh, going on four decades now, Jason Voorhees has been basically the poster child of the entire genre. You know, when you say the word horror, when you bring it up in conversation, if you put up that hockey mask, if you just, if you have a costume, an image, even the name, 
I mean, that's like kind of the go-to set of references that anybody in our culture will immediately get, whether it's little kids or old men, you know, people on the street, people who have watched a single fucking horror movie will recognize this set of ideas and this character. And I think that that is, I, I really early in the podcast, I think Vic, you, you really started to kind of chew on the idea of, you know, um, you know, an archetype, you know, uh, uh, an almost Jungian, you know, existence for, for this character, you know, and I think that that's really, really fucking true. It also ties into the desire as a kid that Mark mentioned that I share and Vic, I believe did as well, that it's fun to just play like you are this, this monster. To me, it was like being Godzilla or something, you know, or a werewolf putting on that mask. And it's just so fun to like ape those movements of his and that deliberate stalking and the sort of implacable emotionless attack that it was just really easy for kids to. And I mean, I don't know what this says about our culture that kids are like, (laughs) I want to be a serial killer. Um, (laughs) But it was just really fun. It was so such a gettable character to embody in a a harmless way, you know? Um, Yeah. uh, My friends mm -hmm. loved to play like Jason. They would always want me to do it because they just loved seeing me like come around a corner and they were like that because I, I had like an army jacket and I distressed my, my mask as well, just to kind of make it look more like the movies. And I had the big fake plastic uh, machete that I was running after them with. And there was a thrill in that. that It's not like I was like trying to convince my friends to do this. They were the ones asking me, all right, yeah, let's play Jason tonight. Let's do that. (laughs) Well, it's the same idea as watching a horror movie. I mean, you want to have this, this fake fear and this sort of test run for life Mm -hmm. that horror movies give you that, you know, it equips us with a little bit of experience of how we would handle an extreme situation. And it's good to sort of mentally prepare ourselves for that because inevitably you are going to be in scary situations. And in some way, I think that horror movies help to prepare us for that. These movies inoculate children against uh, horrific scenarios. Yeah. What I what I am lamenting is that I watched many of these movies with my my stepsister and her very attractive friends, and that if only I had thought of putting on a hockey mask, I probably could have had them taking off their tops and running screaming. <laughs> <sighs> you know, it, it, it's still worth a shot. It's still yeah, worth no, a shot. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I let, let me just throw an idea out there that, that occurred to me like as we're talking uh, in terms of, you know, the history. You know, I am kind of keying off the idea of, you know, Jason Voorhees being, uh, you know, poster child for the genre. You know, for a really long time, horror was was driven by specific characters. So I'm talking about like the golden age of universal horror from the 30s. You had Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman mummy like really core identifiable characters and for whatever reason like no one really added to those like we kind of hung on those core guys with like a few outliers you know a uh, creature from black lagoon that's what you know various you know martian men you know blah 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 uh but we kind of hung on those core characters for 50 years 
it wasn't until the late 70s, early 80s that, that our culture created more. And so we went from having those guys for 50 years to now our, you know, our Wolfman Dracula Frankenstein mummy, our Jason, Michael, Freddy, and Leatherface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I definitely have have thought about that uh, kind of correlation in the past about like which one matches up with which kind of archetype from each of those. And I don't know. What, what do you think Jason is? Do you think he's more of a Frankenstein or a mummy? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I, I, and if we're going to compare those foursome, like the first four are all supernaturally driven. They're mm-hmm. all creatures that, that are out of folktales, legends, uh, fiction. Uh, whereas our core four that we created as children, that the filmmakers of our childhood created, they're human. And uh, but interestingly enough, as the the filmmakers continue to tell their stories, they eventually become supernatural. Jason being the most obvious example. Fred, oh no, no, Fred, Freddie yeah. began life as a like he was already a serial killer. He was already a child molester, a murderer who had killed like dozens of children. Like, like he actually didn't even have to die to already be, uh, uh, you know, one of these guys, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it, like weirdly, like we give him his backstory, his special powers in his backstory, but he's already a murderer. Like I, I have to wonder what is that cultural shift? What explains that, that we go from these, you know, uh, supernatural folklorish monsters to 50 years later, they're all basically just psycho dudes who want to chop you up with shit. I mean, do you think that's more of an understanding of, uh, of medicine, of the human kind of condition, of all of, a lot, there's been a lot of, like, uh, sci- talk of psychology and, and a lot of developments with, uh, there aren't as many great unknowns. It's almost like the cavemen thinking that a comet in the sky is a god or an angry god coming down. And so it's much more scary. I watch those universal movies and I'm not really scared so much as I am just entertained at how kind of, uh, quaint and it's almost cute the way, um, the, the fright, the frights are kind of set up in those older movies, but there are scenes in Texas Chainsaw Massacre or the, some of the original Friday the 13th and, or definitely Nightmare on Elm Street that, that really do kind of chill me to the, to the bone because it, it kind of deals with those, those unknowns and those, uh, or things that actually could get you. Um, I, that's why I, uh, even a modern retelling of a vampire movie it really doesn't scare me because I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to run into a vampire on the street, yeah. but I will run into a possible psycho killer on the subway or on the L. Yeah, Mark, you and I are on the same side of that fence, and then Mike is actually on the other, where we've, we've kind of had this debate on this show, where I find it scarier to think about you know these this guy that could in some way, like a, a reasonable facsimile of Jason could show up at my my house tonight, you know, but um, I'm pretty confident that Freddie is not going to be in my dreams tonight, you know. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I and and just to offer the the other side of the coin, like I look at a psycho killer, and part of me is like I could fight that dude, or uh, or worst case scenario, like I can get in a car and drive away, and the problem is solved, you know. And I, whereas like a uh, curse of the demon, Juan. 
you know, shit that gets into your soul and you're fucked no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's not, you could be on the bottom of the Marianas Trench and a oh, dead little girl will still crawl up out of, uh, crawl up from underneath the seat, you know? I mean, that's what chews on my brain. Mike, I'm, yeah. I'm very much in your, in your, uh, uh, metaphorical boat with that. Um, but, uh, the other thing I think that, that is worth noting about, that all these things came to be at the same time. It was a time in film when we took the shackles off of guys like, you know, Wes Craven and John Carpenter and said, you can go off and make these really horrific movies kind of for the first time. I mean, I think if you look at the, the hammer horror films, they introduced sort of a new level of gore, but they were still playing with those same old archetypes of Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy. Um, this was the this was kind of the first time that you had real auteurs that were able to make horror films the way that they wanted to make horror films and when you see what comes out of that you realize the the power that that singular vision had when it came to these characters and it, what's interesting about all of that is that I think Friday the 13th is kind of the exception that we associate all of those characters. You associate Leatherface with Toby Hooper. You associate Freddy with uh, Wes Craven, certainly John Carpenter with Michael Myers. We all know the names of Sean S. Cunningham, but I think that when when he dies, uh, God willing, not for many, many years, it will hardly send the shockwaves through the industry that Wes Craven's passing did, for instance. Um, but I do think that, that it was, I think a lot of why those those characters and those new uh, horror uh, icons came to be had to do with the time and what was happening in the industry. Well, Jason almost is a a creation and a creature of happenstance because, Mm -hmm. as we all know, he basically wasn't a character in the first movie, and then they just kind of shoehorned him in for a shock ending, more or less um, spur of the moment. And then they decided you know, again, somewhat randomly to make the second film about him, but he, he didn't get the hockey mask until the third movie. And, and this character developed over time, uh, very organically rather than being like this thunderbolt of inspiration that Sean S. Cunningham had. So, I mean, I think there's some, some logic to that. In addition, of course, to the fact that, you know, with all due respect, of course, he hasn't had the career that Wes Craven has had outside of the franchise. But I want to throw out a couple of things for you guys, because I, I, you guys have made some really interesting points and spurred well, if, some if, ideas for me. If I could just interrupt, sure. I just think that I, I just to, to piggyback off of what you just said, and we were there along for that ride as Jason developed into to this creature that he is today the um it could be um you think the ideal version is the jason x version i i i wouldn't say that but um we've seen him evolve from from the the little boy in the lake to the 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 hooded one-eyed killer uh in the with in the woods to the hockey mask guy to the zombie to the uh to jason x uh, and beyond and we were there that whole way during that creative process. And I think that that also is kind of endearing to fans because we were actually, it's not like Freddie who was kind of fully formed when Nightmare on Elm Street came out or Leatherface who was pretty much a, a terrifying character in the first film. It was, it, that whole, it, it, it's more almost inclusive as an audience because you see this evolution through, through these span of movies. 
Yeah, Absolutely. you know, I, I and the other three characters were grown men created by grown men. Vic, like you said, they were fully formed characters, you know, uh, created by identifiable filmmakers who were the driving the franchise. Like we, like we weren't adding to Freddy. We were waiting for Wes Craven to say something new about Freddy, if that makes sense. You know, whereas Mark, it's kind of like what you just said. It's like I mean, Jason is the character amidst all of those who we literally grew up with. The kids who saw the first Friday the 13th movie grew up at the same rate as this, this weird psychotic man child living in the woods. <laughs> it's like, so I, I, in every alienated weird kid who likes metal and horror had a ma- not, not just a mascot, not just a, a, an action figure to play with. I mean, it's, it's like you, you get it. He's the I weird think guy. Who's we're all dangerous. very much drawn to characters that change. I think. I mean, don't we think movie to movie, or uh, in the course of a, a season of television, we want to see characters really evolve and change? And that doesn't happen with these horror icons. I mean, you don't see uh, Dracula evolve over the course of these films. And I mean, you, you, I guess you could say that Gary Oldman's Dracula, for example, is a, is a you know, progression of the character from Bella Lugosi. But I mean, certainly with like Leatherface or, or Freddie, I mean, do those, those guys or Michael Myers, did they ever really change? No. And here we have this guy going through an um, unimaginable array of, of changes, even getting to the point of becoming a a body swapper at one point. (laughs) Yeah. I, 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 you know, John, that's a really interesting thought because with any other character, you know, uh, all that the filmmakers could add would be backstory. We were always hearing about, uh, oh, Freddy was the bastard son of a thousand maniacs, or, you know, oh, Michael Myers is actually the product of a druid thing, and da-da-da-da-da. It's always backstory, backstory, backstory. But it doesn't have the forward-moving vitality of a character who's actually growing and li- literally growing, literally changing, literally rising from the grave to continue to murder. You know, uh, I, I, and that's a forward creation rather than a backward creation. Like, all right, well, we've already made Freddy, and now the only let's just fill thing. in the backstory. Yeah, and he starts. I, yeah. He starts out with a really sympathetic story. I mean, he was the abused mm-hmm. kid by the rest of the kids who drowns in the lake, and really, he was innocent up to that point. And that's that's interesting because Freddy and and all of the rest of them. Um, they were they, they were pretty bad from from the get go. Um, it just feels like uh, I mean we don't know much about Leatherface, but Michael. I never felt for Michael Myers. He no. was always kind of a cipher or just a blank slate there. A bad seed, uh, even. Yeah, yeah, and I mean Freddie is definitely not sympathetic, um, and neither is Leatherface. I don't think just because it's so disgusting what he does. But with Jason, you feel for him. And I think that they really, that was one of the successful things in Freddy versus Jason that they really highlighted, I think, um, to make you kind of root for Jason because Freddy was such an evil bastard and he was taking advantage of him just like the, the counselors and the kids did. Leatherface and Jason are actually an interesting duo to compare because Jason has this sympathetic backstory but suffers so much and loses so much that he becomes truly 
devoid of compassion or empathy. Whereas Leatherface, however he started, he definitely has these human vulnerabilities and emotions and weakness. And, you know, he'll have a crush on the girl and he'll help her. And, you know, he's, he's more conflicted about his morality. And, and yet they are both these big hulking, uh, similarly built uh, masked killers. Yeah, and he's got a family where Jason is kind of an orphan. That's right. Well, he's very family. He's very family driven. I mean, he's yeah. so wrapped up with his mom, you know that. Yeah, I mean, you don't get a sense of any other family there. It's like I, I mean, as we've discussed in the earlier aspect, you know, earlier parts of this podcast, like yeah, I you know, it's it was at one point in time it was, uh, you know, Jason and his mom against the world. You know, she's eking out a living working at the summer camp. You know, I, I mean, it's stressful times, and you know, he pair bonds with her, you know, in a really powerful manner. You know, beyond the grave and on, on multiple levels. So it's like, yeah, I mean, both Leatherface and Jason are are kind of the other side of the nature versus nurture. I, I just didn't know if you guys had had ever read any of the Jason comics or any of the Leatherface comics, because at one point, Jason and Leatherface did have sort of a crossover where Jason, I think it was around. Jason goes to hell. I think they were making comics uh, of for Jason and and Leatherface, and they just kind of crossed the two over. Where uh, Leatherface tried to invite Jason into the family, and it kind of went badly. <laughs> but I don't know how. Uh, I I don't even know how it ended. But um, I do remember reading the first couple of issues. They were pretty bad, but because I think that the the properties were just being made just for a cash grab. But still, it was just kind of interesting that. There was one point where uh, the two of these guys kind of crossed over with each other. I heard about that, and I am going to track it down at some point because it was recommended to me as you know just being an interesting um, little experiment, you know. So yeah, the, that's all. The comics are interesting. I, I do think that I and I do the the comic uh, section at Ain't It Cool, so that's kind of another one of my. Uh, huge interests, but um, I've always, whenever there's been a, a Friday the 13th comic or a Jason comic, I'm, I get it, even though it hasn't been of great caliber, I don't think. But um, I do, uh, I, I do think it kind of is, is an interesting, um, they, it's almost like side stories or one-offs or um, they did actually have a Jason versus Freddy versus Ash comic mm-hmm. book, which wasn't great, but it was, I don't think it's kind of revered as canon, um, but I do think it's kind of just interesting that Jason does have kind of a life in comics there as well. I think that I mean, one-offs are where horror comics really thrive. I, I think that you know they work best kind of the same way that horror short stories work best. Like I, I, I never read in a consistent manner I, I mean, any of those titles, but the one that I always picked up was Hellraiser because mm-hmm. you know they were basically just a horror short story in which, you know, the Cenobites would just show up, you know, and it could have been a ghost. It couldn't have been a killer, but instead it was Pinhead, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. there, there was those, those kind of like just one offy little, you know, like tales from the crypt, but it was always Pinhead. <laughs> it was always Cenobites. Yeah. And I, I thought that that actually kind of worked out. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah, we've been talking a lot about the evolution of Jason and the incarnations of Jason. Uh, Mark, what's your favorite Jason? I mean, can I break it up into the four, uh, like the four or the three sections of four? Because I, I really love uh, Jason from uh, part six. Uh, yeah. Just the, I, I just think they just made him. 
iconic and looking cool. And they gave him some really fun kind of almost video MTV video kind of cool moments there. I, yes. I really loved that. But I also really loved the way Jason was portrayed in part four, um, just as, I mean, he still kind of ran. Um, I, there was, it, he had, uh, it, it felt like he was the evolved and older version of the kid that you saw in the first one. And I really liked that connection. Um, but it, I do, I, I do tend to, to lean more towards part six. You know, I think Derek Mears did a great job in the um, in the remake. Uh, you guys talked about that in the last podcast about just the physicality, and he really, um, he really. There were a couple of scenes that really jumped out as uh, he was able to kind of stand there and look cool, but then also he would just run up to you and just, just really. There was that. I just remember that one scene where he just runs up and just swipes that girl with the axe, and it it was just something that you hadn't seen in a Friday the 13th before. And there was just something about that, that, uh, that performance that, that stuck out to me as well. Yeah. There's a dynamic energy to his performance. Definitely. And I think the series needed that because it was getting a little repetitious of the zombie slowly moving Jason and Mm -hmm. it had been made fun of so much in, from movies like scream or, or, um, the scary movie ones where, uh, where basically he, the kid, the the killer is walking, and the person is running, and somehow they catch up to them, which is I always thought was kind of weird. The teleportation yeah. powers that you guys referred to, right, right. We we just call that teleportation. Yes, <laughs> we've all come back to part six as really the the idea that we have of Jason was formed in part six, which you know, I mean, for better or worse is why that film feels so iconic so why that it's the first it's the first time that Jason is undead that he's this this revived corpse um it's where we get the idea of him sort of teleporting i think a little bit there's probably hints of that in other films um but that film does i mean you know looking at this the the, the list of movies that one stands out as the one that we latched onto and said, this is what Jason is. And I think that that's why uh, Derek Mears in the remake stands out so much is because it built to that. That was the climax. We clung onto it for, uh, you know, for entirely too long. And then to see this very much human incarnation of him felt different and fresh and original and sort of interesting. Um, but that film deserves a lot of credit for, for bringing that to us. Yeah, I mean, Jason Lives, part six, is, for me, the film that holds up the best of any of these, because I I think that it's the best directed, it's sort of the best looking, again, like the the stylized cinematography that Mark, you know, referred to, like when he comes out of the um, overturned RV and is standing there and looking awesome, and it's just like such a, it, it, it definitely creates that zombie Jason's menace in a way that they will just be sort of uh, leaning on for the subsequent films. Um, but then again, you know, I mean, I, I still think that there is no, I agree. There's no perfect Friday the 13th movie because some of the dialogue in that film is pretty hokey. You know, it, it has a very 
um, it does have a, a somewhat corny vibe as well. So, Mark, ad, you know, admitting that none of these films is is perfect, which one for you holds up best? I, I do think it's part six. Um, I think that uh, you have a, a pretty cool final girl and final boy. Um, mm-hmm. It does kind of embrace the history of the series and builds upon it. Um, I think some of the scares are really potent. I think I, I'm thinking of just J and it's also pretty funny because I mean, just that scene of uh, the RV rocking up and down and Jason yes. sort of looking at it with a sideways head, like trying to understand what's going on in there to, to him. It's just a giant vehicle that's bouncing and he's wondering what the hell's going on there. Um, but also there's the scene when um, Libby or I forget her name, Sissy, the one who really gets massacred in that room and there's blood everywhere. Yeah, the, um, the, the, the but, hot nerdy girl where, where uh, yeah. we, we don't even really see her die. It's a, you know, we just see her like get smashed through a window and hauled back into the room and the characters see the, the aftermath of that and the room is just painted with blood. Yeah, and, and even before that, when she's talking with the kid and she's looking over the, the children, outside behind her, Jason is kind of tracking her, and he's, he's right there outside the window. If she would turn around, she would see him, but we, she doesn't, and she's looking around at the kids, and Jason, it, Jason is in that shot in the background following her along the windows. And that's, I think that's a level of kind of sophisticated scares that you just don't normally see in the Friday the 13th movies. Especially the latter ones. I would say Absolutely. that six is the most fun to watch. I mean, Mark, it's interesting. I, I, and you're kind of putting your finger on like the very few moments in that entire movie that are even trying to be scary. And I, I, for me, that's kind of my quibble is like, I mean, six, I mean, if I had to sit down and watch any of these, it would probably be six, mostly because it's just a really entertaining movie to watch. It's the best directed. I, I have some troubles with the dialogue but uh because it's trying it's to try hard it's very screenwritery in a way that mm-hmm. like the other movies are have terrible dialogue but it's uh not trying hard enough if that makes sense whereas it's, this, it's one it, of the least naturalistic of the films yeah, it feels very, very scripted it's very scripty it's very film schooly and mm-hmm. and, and uh, but but it's still it does still land uh yeah. and but i mean in terms of the way it looks it's way more of a horror comedy than anything else. And well, and I, Court, yeah. Court and Nikki, the couple in that RV, are hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 and it works for what it's. I, I, and for what it's trying to do. I, I, and we have filmmakers who aren't taking this movie seriously at all, except in in terms of their craft. Like they're not trying to scare you with this movie, but they are trying to give you a good movie. Whereas there are other films in which it's clear that the filmmakers aren't taking it seriously, but in those cases, they're just taking the opportunity to just kind of jerk off the movie and, and be done with it. You know, uh, Tom, Tom McLaughlin is the writer director of this film. We should give him a shout out since we keep complimenting the directing. Yeah. yeah. What did he do anything after that? I see some credits here, mostly TV, like amazing stories. And, uh, they came from outer space, apparently 18 episodes in the early nineties. I don't remember that. Um, but yeah, he kind of, um, it was mostly the nineties and that's it for him. looks like my friend, uh, B-boy actually just hung out with him this past weekend. What? 
Yeah, at a horror thing. He drove down to Indianapolis for a horror convention fest type thing, and uh, I posted a picture of him hanging out with this exact with same Tom guy. With Tom McLaughlin? Really? Yeah, uh, just like, yeah, like, like hours ago. That's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, mean, uh, I, I mean, it is a fun movie, but I wouldn't call it a straight-up horror movie. And it's also, you know, and again, we're talking about the platonic ideal you know, Friday the 13th movie typically involves a lot of sex and nudity. And, you know, we get almost none of that. I mean, we get the two uh, in the RV, but it's played for laughs. And you can tell that, you know, our, you know, you know, Mikla- is it McLaughlin? I mean, you can tell that Tom d- was uncomfortable with the idea of having a movie with a bunch of little kids in it and also naked girls, you know? So Ooh. he's like, you know, I'm going to pick one or the other. This is the chaste of the films in some yeah. ways. Yeah. You know, we so don't like, see so a lot. Like, I, I understand that creative choice and and I agree with it for the tone that he's trying to strike. But at the same time, we have a Friday the 13th movie with very few actual scares and no nudity. So it's a fun movie to watch, but would you call it a true Friday the 13th movie? Even though it makes Jason look really fucking cool. So well, that's like, another yeah. thing that we were talking about before that about Jason himself. And I just think for the franchise as a whole, uh, the to, to dovetail off of what Mark said, that we're still all waiting for the, the the perfect Friday. I think we're piecing together the perfect Friday. And so in a way, you kind of have to watch three or four of them to get all your itches scratched, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, that, it's kind of like, isn't there a, a mythic tape of the first uh, three uh, or the um, the prequels of uh, Star Wars that right. someone made and they actually made it into a decent movie? Yes. And it's almost like you could do that with probably all 12 of these movies and really get a really cool kind of evolution of a character and, and a journey through all of that. It, it just cut out a lot of the the crap that makes you roll your eyes or makes you kind of be embarrassed a little bit when you're watching it. You're saying you're a Friday the 13th fan and then you watch it with one of your friends and uh, some scene comes up and you're just feeling like, oh, God, why why did I... Why did I invite this friend to watch this with me? <laughs> right. Well, that's a good uh, segue to my next question. Which of the films would you least want to watch right now? Oh, God. Uh, that would probably be just Jason Goes to Hell. Uh, that, to me, I really have trouble finding any redeeming qualities. Aside from Creighton Duke. Um, yeah. I, I like his character. Um, but really, it, I could just uh, have that part and uh just the the Creighton Duke parts and the uh I guess the Freddy claw coming out at the very end and the rest of the movie could just go straight to hell I guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh we actually enjoyed that one I think more yeah. than more than you did um yeah. I I think I I found that for whatever reason very pleasurably bad and I thought the zany goofy early 90s sensibility and and humor was um you know as broad as it was i i don't know i found that pretty consistently entertaining and and it is just so batshit nuts it has and it bears so little resemblance to another friday the 13th film i guess maybe it was a nice change of pace also um as we go through this this marathon any uh, thoughts on that, uh, Mike and Vic? Like, uh, let's start with you, Mike. Which of the films would you least want to watch right now? 
Uh, probably that one, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I, 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 for a while, my my immediate reaction would have been five because it's so clearly such a terrible movie. But it gets bad to such an extent that it loops all the way back around to you're you're basically just a six pack of beer away from really thoroughly enjoying this movie. Right. I like I, I, it is the one that I laughed at out loud the most. You know, and, and I, in that case, I, I, on that level, it's pretty enjoyable. Because it gets so terrible that I mean, you you start going okay all right. Um, whereas Jason goes hell like it's meaning to be fun and goofy, um, but it is you know New Line tried tried their damnedest to make Friday the Thirteenth movies that had as little to do with Jason Voorhees or Friday the Thirteenth as possible. You know, so it's like yeah. which uh, you know I, I mean I get it. You want to take new directions, X Y Z. But, um, yeah, but it had had that great meta open where the girl is doing all the dumb girl in a Friday the Thirteenth movie things. There he is. Jason shows up, and she's like leads him into a commando raid, and they blow right. him up. I mean, I thought yeah. that was that was fun for me. It's Manhattan, hands down. Manhattan is a hard watch for me. Uh, it's just too slow. It's tedious. It it's not that funny uh, for the most part. Uh, that one is the the worst for me Vic I'm with you John Manhattan is dreadful uh, yeah. I mean I think when we did I mean this is not in any way an endorsement of Jason goes to hell but <laughs> like there's 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 production quality to it they got some good actors we talked about uh, uh, Richard Gant as Phil the coroner we talked about Stephen Culp as the sleazy TV producer and stuff like the performances are good there's almost nothing to recommend part eight and it personifies a lot of the silliest things about the genre. Mike, I remember you talking about there's a scene when the guy's climbing the ladder up towards sort of the crow's nest of the ship and Jason just materializes on the ladder. Like right. I can, I can at least you know, suspend my disbelief that maybe he found a shortcut through the forest, but it's a fucking ladder. Right. Yeah. The gold medal winner of most egregious use of serial killer teleportation in a horror movie goes to. Yes. And below, please. On the constant use of just barrels of, of toxic waste is just absurd in the, the whole backstory with the girl that was thrown out of the boat to teach her how to swim, and then Jason the kid appeared. Like, oh, it's just awful. It's just yeah. Uh, I'm I'm starting, I'm starting to amend my opinion <laughs> as, as I think because I, I I mean eight is I, I see five gets so deliriously bad that you can start laughing at eight almost gets there but not quite. It does balance on the razor's edge and I and again I should. I mean, for the millionth time, I'll bring up the fact that I'd watch this movie and I'm just like, uh, nope, I'm done. So I, I mean, eight is the one that actually got me to check out the franchise for for years, yeah. literally. Like, I, I mean, even when the remake was coming out, I'm like, oh, OK, I guess I got to go because I'm a horror nerd, you know, but Mark, uh, what do you think about Manhattan? Uh, you know, I, I just think it's so bland that, that that's the problem with it. it. There's just you're right. There's no pizzazz to it. But the bad choices that that Jason goes to hell makes all the way through, uh, just just with not even showing Jason very often, um, and not just taking out the part of the part that everyone wants to see, uh, just the Jason parts, and just really having him at the very beginning and at the very end, that just frustrated the hell out of me. I I know when I was a, when I was a kid and I saw it and. 
rewatching it, it, it is really tough to see. Um, I, I, you guys mentioned about some type of through way with the characters because really they just act like zombies when they're, they're like Jason or they act like they have indigestion or something. Mark, they're, they're acting like little kids pretending to be Jason Voorhees. I guess that's what it is, yeah. <laughs> I think I did a better performance than those. Yeah, <laughs> I think you, I believe you did. Yeah. <laughs> so who's your favorite final girl in this whole franchise? Uh, I know my favorite victim is uh, Deborah Sue Voorhees. Yes. For obvious reasons. Yes. <laughs> but, oh, we, um, we lingered on that lovingly. Yeah. Uh. yeah. And, and so did my adolescent, you know, teenage <laughs> years. We, I lingered on that for a, a long time. A, a, a lot of pause buttons got worn out on a lot of VCRs across <laughs> exactly. the country. Yeah, yeah. I'm oh, sure that's yeah. where that's where a lot of the VHS tapes broke after a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why, everyone says that five is the worst. Why does it keep getting rented by these twelve year old boys? <laughs> um, but uh, I I really liked Ginny. Um, I've I yeah. always thought that she was spunky. She understood Jason on a level that I think that a lot of the other characters didn't. Um, it, it just because of her background in psychology. Uh, I think that the way she uh, defeated Jason it was clever, and um, I don't know if it had been done before in other movies, but it just seemed original, and, and you, you haven't seen anyone beat him psychologically in that way. Um, I, I really, as, much, as fun as it was, it, it really annoyed me that Tina was had psychic powers, because I, I guess I don't like crossing over like the... the it almost feel, felt like a, a mishmash, like they did just want to do Carrie. And um, I just want my undead killer, and I don't want to mix it with any type of telekinesis because I don't want to think of like uh, 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 kind of like a horrors X-Men or something like that where everyone has different powers and all of a sudden mm-hmm. they run into each other. And it's a big, it makes it almost too comic booky. So I like the final girls to be a little bit more human. And Ginny seemed very human. She was, she she was like a girl next door. She was far from perfect. Um, She was like running late all the time. And she's, she's obviously got a lot of stuff going on. um, But uh, she's just the most interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that humanity that she has and the sense of humor that she has, like she tells that, bad frog in a blender joke that uh, certainly me and my friends were telling as, as little kids. And and she has a sense of humor that you could kind of relate to. And uh, I think that the reason it feels familiar, it's not that it was done before that again, to my knowledge, but it's that it's been imitated so widely since, you know, Mm. the, the crafty final girl exploiting some knowledge of the mythology to arrange something. I mean, you could even say Nancy in, in Nightmare on, El- on Elm Street is, is ab- after Ginny. And it, it, it's the kind of cleverness that we revere in a heroine. But I think that that was pretty original. And, and so was the idea, I think, dove- dovetailing back to something you said a long time ago, that Jason was the hapless victim. I think a lot of the Friday the 13th imitators use that um backstory like um well wait was the burning before or after that was 1980 as well i'm not uh, sure that's an early appearance of jason alexander so uh, <laughs> i know you guys talked about that in the last podcast is that a fact who does he play 
Jason Alexander, he's in the burning. Uh, he plays one of the counselors there. Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't think he's been killed, but he has hair, even. Yeah. Come, uh, come to think of it, yeah, I had never noticed before, but you're absolutely right about that. <laughs> Holy shit. He is in that movie. Oh, uh, uh, that's hilarious. Because yeah, you, you, you must know, Mark, that Mike spends at least five minutes every show talking about that. <laughs> it's, it's after about beer five or six that I forget that I've mentioned in previous podcasts i'm just like hey you know in the burning (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i'll just say that laura park lincoln is her character is nowhere near as likable as jenny in fact she's kind of annoying and bland and you know she she's overly worked up all the time and and just doesn't have a fantastic personality but i do enjoy uh, the idea of in one of these movies, it is Carrie versus Jason, just the way I enjoy that it's Freddy versus Jason or, mm-hmm. you know, just breaking with the pattern. I, I do love the almost desperate originality of each installment of this film as they try to do something new. And uh, that that's why I like that movie so much. But I think overall, I'm I'm going back to my original stance, which before we did these films, and I do think that part six is the one that is the definitive Friday the 13th for me, even though I, I totally agree with Mike's points about it being lacking in certain key elements. Um, it's just, again, there's no perfect one, and that one has the zombie Jason at his best, and that's my, my favorite one. So sorry to uh, go off on that tangent. I would like to use a little bit of time here before we run out of time to talk about the creative direction that we would like to see in the new reboot and the TV series and or subsequent properties that we may uh, get over the next 10 years. You know, I think that they've been teasing us since the very first uh, movie. So I would really like to see Jason versus a bear. Um, (laughs) That doesn't have to be the the entire movie, but I would love to see uh, some bear hunters. Yeah, Grizzly versus Jason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I. But I. I do think that that would be a fun sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's a bear is killing a bunch of people at Crystal Lake, and and Jason almost turns into the hero, and he's he takes care of this bear, and then whatever. But or that there are bear hunters in there, and and there's a hint of a bear all the way through it, and at the end there's a giant bear, and Jason fights the bear. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, but I also magic of cinema. love, yeah, like the grizzlies. The I, grizzlies. I also, yes, I, I love the um, idea of there being a death curse at Camp Crystal Lake, and yeah. I would love to see that kind of delved into. Um, I want to know how far back the death curse goes. Does it go back to four Jason? Um, I think that it would be a mistake to do a Friday the Thirteenth without Jason, but to have someone investigating. That um, it would be interesting to me just to see what it is that that has cursed this lake and um, and this area. Uh, I, I think that that would be interesting. Um, uh, the rumors seem to say that uh, the next movie is going to be about Jason's immortality and why he heals and how he kind of defeats death. Um, to me, that's sort of interesting. Um, that I don't know if you guys have seen the the posters for Leatherface, um, the latest one that's going to be coming out here, I guess next year. Uh, but it has to do with Jay, with Leatherface as a child, and I 
don't think I was ever asking for that, but I, I kind of would love to see Jason as a child because those are the years that we really haven't seen. We've seen flashbacks, but we've never seen that full story fully realized. And I think there is a story in there, um, but I don't want to get it into a Darth Vader sort of way that, that kind of uh, over-sympathizes the character and over, um, like, really gives too much uh, away to this kind yeah. of ambiguous character as well. So I'm kind of torn at that, but I, I would kind of like to see some of those answer or just given some of those answers in, in one of the series and really take the entire series as a whole seriously and, um, and really try to deliver and answer those questions and, and do things like that. I wasn't a huge fan of the Smallville show, but I kind of would like that sort of approach to this TV show where mm -hmm. it's about this death curse and it's about Crystal Lake. And we started, you know, when the show starts, Jason is very young and so we have a lot of the horror is coming from, you know, the lake and the other evil doings that it's it's causing and influencing people to commit crimes and so on. But then over the co course of the series, we watch Jason grow up, like maybe in between season one and season two, it's like five years or something like that. So mm -hmm. that within a couple of three seasons, you know, we've got bag on his head, Jason, and, you know, like, I just feel like there is enough richness to this potential mythology to slow play it out. Um, Vic, what do you think? I, uh, I mean, I think all of those are terrific ideas. Um, I wonder, I'm not even sure this would be good necessarily, but why not embrace the idea that Jason is the person we're rooting for? We've talked about that a lot as the franchise goes on, that the more it goes on, the more we, we just create awful people for Jason to kill. So, you know, why not do a movie, you know, Larry Fessenden's Friday the 13th, where a bunch of <laughs> evil real estate developers are going to come in and, and, you know, drain Crystal Lake because there's oil underneath it. And just tell the whole movie from Jason's perspective as he picks them off one by one. Mm -hmm. uh, the peaceful marijuana farmer. The peace, Jason. Yeah. The peaceful <laughs> farmer. Um, you know, He's killing, uh, killing evil industrialists. You know, it's it's like it's like on deadly ground, but with Jason. And, uh, oh, we gotta give Jason the same beaded jacket that yes. uh, Steven Seagal. Yeah, and a ponytail that Steven yeah. Seagal was rocking. Vic, if I ever, if I have ever heard a pitch that could sell for a million in the room, it's that. <laughs> no, I, I do think there was another rumor about having it uh, happen in the snow, like have a Friday the 13th Ooh, happen like during like Christmas. or, And I think that would be fantastic. For some reason, any movie, any horror movie set in with, uh, the, with snow and just horrible weather conditions and everything, it just makes it much more scarier to me. I mean, I, I love The Thing. I love like movies like that where you're – the the characters are trapped by the environment, but also there's another threat. I think that those, I, I, and I think that there are a lot of, uh, you could mix a lot of those elements. There could be a bear in the snow too. <laughs> <laughs> a polar bear. Yeah. See, I, 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 would, I would actually go in the exact opposite direction. I would uh, have Jason somehow transport a la Jason X or Manhattan to Hawaii. And I would have him uh, be <laughs> surfing Jason Voorhees. I would yes. put, him, put him in trunks. He's, Can uh, he fight he's a shark? Surfing. 
Yeah, dude. Yeah. Ooh. I, I, I show sharks are just the bear, bears of the of the water. So. <laughs> yeah, Jason versus this is a great white. That would be fantastic. I would love to see I, I, that. I, I, yeah, it would, uh, and we would be. Uh, it would be like the sequel to the opening sequence of a uh, full full zombie. Yes, mm-hmm. it's not the opening sequence, but yes, yeah, oh, there's yeah, that. yeah, that's right, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Which I can't believe that scene was made. It, it just seems insane uh, to have a, a zombie, a guy in a zombie suit, and he really is wrestling with a shark. And yeah, it's just crazy. It, Thank it, God for the Italians. They gave us yes. Rome, and they gave us horror movies. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just yes. want to say, Mike, if Friday, if uh, Freddy versus Jason taught us anything, it's that Camp Crystal Lake is only a forty-five minute drive from Hawaii. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. It's actually true. not that unreasonable. Well, you know, I, I keep saying that I'm not scared of Jason Voorhees because I can just jump on a plane to escape him. What if Jason gets on the plane too? And he follows, and he follows me. Yeah, he follows me to Honolulu, and then uh, see. Now yeah. you're afraid. Right. Now, now, now I'm afraid. Jason. Now you've got Jaws the Revenge. With yeah, Jason, exactly. And that works. Well, Jason has frequent Jason flyer a, miles. Jason on a plane. Yeah. yeah. What about Jason, Jason on a plane? Jason on a plane I, I, with Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah. <laughs> especially, especially, uh, I don't if, care if, about this motherfucking Jason on this motherfucking plane. Especially if he learns how to fly it. And he's just flying around, just land. He lands, chops up people, gets back on the plane, leaves. And uh, I, I would say... I have a helicopter that- yeah, I, uh, the Jason Copter. I can just see Jason with the little headset on, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, with the microphone <laughs> it's over a his mask. <laughs> it's a uh, you know, Vic, uh, you, you had mentioned the, you know, the, the writing team who had done um, uh, Freddy vs. Jason and the remake. I, I, their names escape me. Um, but I, I could see in the 09 movie that they were trying on some level to make what we were talking about, a platonic quintessential Friday the 13th movie, you know, both as a way to kind of pay off fan expectations and also to introduce, uh, you know, uh, you know, a new legion, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I like they're obvious. I mean, these, these guys are obviously students of the franchise and fans of the genre, because I mean, you can see that they're, they're reaching back to the lore. They're pulling up, you know, they're, they're trying to kind of cherry pick from, the franchise as a whole and God bless their Murray souls for doing so. Mark Swift of, and Damian Shannon. Right. And in terms of the fran, in terms of the remake, I would say that their attempts are unsuccessful at a story level for the reasons that I brought up, uh, you know, in the podcast that we did on that. But in terms of the character, I think reasonably successful because I really like, uh, you know, the Derek Mears version. He's your favorite. He's your favorite. He is Jason. my favorite because I, I mean, he takes the, the living ferocity uh, that I like from two and four and weds him to the, the size that we saw in three, you know, and some aspects that we get later on. I, I think that zombie Jason is almost uh, a different character in a way. Um, and I, I, I if I were to creatively take this, I would delve deeper into the franchise, deeper in the mythology. Uh, I, I think that Bates Motel is a good template, as yeah. is the uh, as is the Hannibal uh, series, in which we wouldn't be slavishly devoted, but we would kind of take the big ideas of the franchise and find new and interesting ways to approach them. I mean, I would open with Pamela Voorhees. Uh, you know, she's working at the camp. And we get those uh, we get those scenes of Jason Voorhees uh, as a little kid, and he's uh, he's different from the other kids, and they pick on him. And he runs off into the woods and puts on a mask because 
he's sick of getting picked on and he sees his mom getting a hard time and a hate grows within him. That's kind of, you know, the embers of which are kind of blown on by the supernatural forces that exist within the death curse of Crystal Lake. I would delve into Chrissy, the Christie family. I would yeah. talk about the town, you know, that vanishes from the films after like part two, you know, um, I, I would definitely crawl up into the kind of backwoods magic-esque elements. I, I, it's like, like Jason didn't just make up the idea of like just putting his mom's head on this altar surrounded by candles. Like, I mean, it's like an Alistair Crowley-ish kind of an image, you know? I, I, I think I that... I really like... Yeah, I, 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 it's I, almost yeah. reminiscent of Pumpkinhead in a way, you know? I, re- I really like the image of, of or the, the idea of Jason, the evil being passed on from one person to the next. And Jason is just the one that has it, has been having it the most. And that, that uh, there has been an evil and it was in Pamela Voorhees for a while and it went there. Direction that each of us would like to see and whatever new properties come out um, in the franchise. And I believe everyone you know, chipped in with something, but uh, I do want to just see if anyone has anything else to add to that discussion. So um, I think uh, we were, we were talking to Mark when the uh, connection died. So I'll start there. Uh, Mark, anything else that you want to say about uh, the uh, future of the Friday, the 13th series? Well, I, I mean, other than bears and snow and maybe <laughs> Jason on a plane, um, which all sound like really <laughs> intriguing concepts. Um, yeah, I, again, I think the history of I, not so much an origin story for Jason, but really just kind of like dealing with the Christies and dealing with the camp and, and everything that you guys had already mentioned. Um, I think that there, there's a there's a really compelling story in there. More so than even like the the Leatherface movie that's about to come out, where we get to find out about. Leatherface as a child. Um, I, I think that Jason as a child, since he basically still is kind of a big man child and, and so much of his origin happens as a child, that seems to be something much more interesting. Um, but at the same time, I was talking with uh, some friends of mine just the other day, and um, we were talking about how Jason is in the Mortal Kombat, um, the newest yes. Mortal Kombat video game. And um, we just thought that since it's so much trouble to put like Jason and Freddie together and do that. Um, and to get any other property together that a video game that just had Jason, Freddie, Ash, Leatherface, Michael Myers, Pinhead, all fighting each other in a Mortal Kombat style game. That would be just wow. the best. I, that I would be that. some fucking sweet ass <laughs> shit, man. You know, I, I just recently I've been catching up on the uh, child's play sequels or whatever. Oh reason. yeah. I've never watched them. And, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it's there. I mean, three is terrible, but for the most part, they're really fucking entertaining movies, man. Mm-hmm. Like, and the whole time, I'm, I'm shaking my head at myself, like, why did I not watch these? I have no <laughs> idea. The Bride of Chucky, like the opening sequences, like a guy goes in the evidence room and there's like a hockey mask and Mike Myers' mm-hmm. mask and Freddy's glove and all that shit. So it's, I mean, it's really easy to just kind of like dip your pen into this this well and just kind of go from there you know yeah and with like a video game you don't really need to have all of the connecting dots or anything it can just be they're fighting each other in hell and that's all the story we really need i I kind of just want to see pinhead like throwing chains at people and 
Mm-hmm. Uh, little Get Chuck- over here. Yeah, he's doing a scorpion there with the chains, or uh, or even like uh, like things like the the thing or something that changes form or or whatever. Just all these kind of movie monsters. Um, that would just be just my uh, ner- movie nerd horror movie nerd kind of dream come true. But um, well, you never I know. I mean, you could see it because they just license uh, all the studios license the character to you know one video game company. Uh, for a short short license, and and then they could probably throw that together. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if something like that uh, could happen. So I I certainly would love to play it. Well, and and definitely with uh, with Chucky, I do think the, if you guys saw the the most recent Chucky, uh, the yeah. Curse of Chucky, yeah. that was really good, and it yeah. it kind of went back to basics with it, and I think it was really successful and. It's funny because it's the same writer. I believe it's the same director. It, I mean, or it's the same yep. somebody. And and uh, it's it's pretty interesting that that guy has stuck through this series all the way through. Um, has, Don Mancini. Yeah. yeah. If, if you pull open his IMDb, it's just Child's Play straight down the <laughs> thing. It's like I I, I I if you're talking about like a, a franchise that's like as closely aligned with its original creator as possible. Like, yeah, you can't even say that about Carpenter or, you know, Craven, you know? Um, But yeah, God, did you guys remember the original Friday the 13th video game on the NES? Vaguely. It was, it was terrible is my recollection. Didn't you just go into one cabin after another and you tried to kill somebody or, or were you the camper and you tried to get, Okay, and you tried to get and and Jason was in one of the doors when you opened it, right? Is that yeah? Right? It's yeah. basically you know you wander around and you're given little things to pick up, and occasionally Jason shows up and kills you. Right. <laughs> this was like one rung on the ladder higher than the ET video game in terms right. of its quality. I mean, yeah, Mark. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's like I, I mean, in a movie or a TV series, you have to go. Well, Chucky has to go here, and then he runs into Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees. Just happened to be, and the game is just like ah, fuck it, they're just fighting. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. The, the purity of the experience is is much more concentrated there. Vic, uh, do you have any other uh, final thoughts on the future of the franchise? I would just say that I think it speaks to uh, Friday the Thirteenth as a franchise. That if you were going to make a video game out of, like, we all talking about the first NES game. So you're Jason killing campers, right? Like, that is the natural assumption about the way a video, you know, that Jason is the hero of the franchise. And (laughs) if you were going to make a video game out of it, you just assume that we'd be Jason trying to kill people, right? Um, No, I I agree about the the, uh, uncovering the the mystical origins of uh, Crystal Lake and the the town and, and some of that stuff and not demystifying uh jason by by you know delving into his childhood which is probably just you know an unfortunately uh uh, genetically deformed kid getting his ass kicked for 90 minutes um (laughs) uh you know i think uh uh, i don't know i I, i'll be curious it would would be like a really really dark and fucked up version of welcome to the dollhouse (laughs) right although (laughs) let let, let me throw this one past you guys i I, what if in a surprise twist we realize that pamela actually murdered her own son and unable to deal with the guilt that's what splits her personality and uh and she starts you know murdering these campers who she blames and the campers like what are you talking about and so but 
I and of course, if if they had uh, you know the opportunity to get in the conversation, you know, it's like, I, I'm like or how about this? Life. Like her guilt was partially she's the one off hooking up with someone because remember she's a single mother and right. she, so she indulges this and for you know this brief little interlude or perhaps you know she's hoping that it's going to become a lot more she takes the eye off her eye off the ball and so her guilt just shatters her mind yeah she can't handle the truth so it's yep. gotta be someone else's fault oh it's those terrible campers you know yeah and that's why it makes her so mad See, See, I that, thought that she sent Jason off swimming and then went up to the lifeguard and seduced him. We can split the difference between these there's two takes. There's different ways. That's all. Mm-hmm. There's different ways to go, go about swim, it. Go swim with these rocks, Jason. I'll, I'm going to be up here with the lifeguard. What if I am taking uh, a beat from one of the only interesting scenes in part eight? Uh, she sends Jason off to go swim in Crystal Lake. And uh, while he's out there, he gets dragged under by, like, some dead Native American kid who died, like, 200 years ago, you know? Well, that's, that's what I really liked about um, – I, I, I do think that there is a throughway, And as much as I hate part uh, – I think it is nine. Uh, that's the Jason Goes to Hell yeah. uh, one. Um, as much as I really don't like that movie – and how um, there's that hidden-esque kind of uh, like body swapping sort of thing going on. I do think that it's kind of intriguing that um, this curse does seem to be passed from like from Pamela Voorhees to Jason, and then Jason is the stint that we've seen most of it, but when Jason was dead, it kind of went on to this uh, crazy blue-eyed uh, ambulance driver who likes mm-hmm. to stare at the camera, and then it transfers <laughs> back to maybe Tommy, which brings him back to Crystal Lake and brings Jason back to life. And it just feels like there, there could be some kind of throughway there. That, and, and that's what I really love about you guys' podcast is that no one else really has, I, I don't know, maybe some other people have these conversations, but you guys really get into, get into putting all the pieces together and connecting the dots, even though there probably aren't any dots to connect um, as far as what the studios and, and the writer's intention were. But um, it does seem like that uh, someone who's kind of creative could probably do something with that and make it um, make it a cohesive story. Yeah, you know what would be really fun would be to kind of treat all of these films as canon in some way. If if you knew that we had to eventually get to the ambulance driver, you know, how could you make that cool? How could you justify that? How could you then have fun with the idea that when once he's dead, it just starts working on Tommy in that institution, and ultimately he has to break out and go resurrect Jason? He's so clearly manipulated by an evil force when that happens in part six. Like it, it it's like the the heavens or hell itself are pulling his marionette strings every step yeah. of the way. Even at the end of part five, when he finally puts on the mask and he's about yeah. to attack uh, Pamela, I think. Is that Pamela? Uh, I think her name might actually be that, um, yeah. as weird as that would be. Yeah, I, I never put that connection together. But yeah, yeah I guess. Um, but it does seem like um, there's there there could be some. I, I just don't know if that's what the that's what studios want. I don't think that. They really want that through way. They just want a big sensational movie that kind of stands alone on itself. And that's yeah, I, I, yeah, we've we've gotten to a place where I, 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 if it's a feature, they're definitely looking for just something that like a one shot that'll make 
you know, they'll have a jump scare like every five minutes, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, in a TV series, you know, I mean, that's where shit like this actually thrives. Where that's where really, I'm thinking. Yeah. Where you can really get up to your elbows in the mythology and going and start asking, all right, who are the Chrissies as people? And why? everything yeah. that we've talked about leads us to that conclusion. Like we are in this weird point in time, which you never would have said the first time there was a Friday the the thirteenth, the series, uh, right. that the the ideal vehicle for this mythology is television. You know, mm-hmm. it really is. Definitely, definitely, and I think that I mean there are are rumblings of a series being yeah. tossed around. So who knows what's going to happen with that? I hope it's not like the old Friday the Thirteenth series, that which no. uh, really disappointed me. Absolutely. I don't think so I, I I think uh, you know we've seen enough class you know uh american horror story and hannibal and uh, uh, uh bates motel i i, I think we, we've seen enough smart classy well-written stuff well even that thing on netflix which i'm, I'm sorry i'm not going to remember the name but uh eli roth had something to do with it what's it called it's about an evil town hemlock Funk. grove yeah, hemlock yeah. grove yes thank you yeah mm-hmm. i mean that's trying for something in this vein you know and i i think that yeah i mean we could definitely see it so a good place to wrap up is best kill in the history of the franchise. Uh, Mark, uh, do you have one? I mean, have you thought about this? Is this something I, that you have an answer for? You know, I I, I will always just love that RV kill, um, the just in part six, when um, just that whole sequence from from the beginning where he smashes her head through the uh, bathroom door all the way up to where he puts the, the Bowie knife through the guy's head um, and uh, it, it crashes to the side. It just felt like a sequence that um, you haven't really seen anything on that size or scope on any other um, kind of Friday the 13th movies. So it just feels like uh, that it just feels like that one was the one that always sticks out to me. I like that you brought that up because we've, we've talked about it earlier in this podcast and a lot previously. And, you know, I, I hadn't really realized it or or codified this in my own head but i would say that if i was going to take 10 minutes of a friday the 13th film that would be it you know starting with the lead up and the comedy and the sex and then you know there's there's like five or six really good jokes between these two characters before it's the most g-rated sex ever (laughs) i know But, you know, it's still got the vibe. It's still got the yeah. feel of the guy trying to get laid and he's so <laughs> horny. But at the same time, you know, he, he can't control when he's going to come. And, you know, there's just all of these elements to the scene that, that work. And, you know, he's t- trying to time it to the end of the song. And it's just really great. And then you have that and plus Jason with that hero shot that we talked about earlier, as they say in advertising, you know, where he just comes out and he looks super cool standing on the on the side of this overturned RV. It's it's like the quintessence. If you were going to say we just talked about earlier that there really isn't a perfect Friday the 13th film. This is the perfect, like long extended sequence if you're going to choose one, in my opinion. Obviously, there will be much discussion of the, uh, say, the sleeping bag kill, um, uh, and uh, I, I think there are some other good ones. As bad as the movie is, uh, they get built around his eyes in part five. Stands out. We talked a lot in the when, when we talked about that movie about how much that scene stands out for its competence. Um, and and in particular, making you care even a little bit about these two people. 
I mean, it's almost the, the sort of, again, much like the, the, the killing part six, you have this quintessential Friday the 13th moment with, you know, the two teens run off into the woods to have sex and one of them comes back and the girl's dead and with their eyes gashed out, whatever. But it's a inventive kill that um, really makes me squirm while watching it, uh, which is not, not something you get from a lot of the... Uh, machetes and and uh that sort of thing yeah and you cut out just for a second there but so i just want to reiterate that you said that it was the the belt being pulled taut over the guy's eyes as he's being um kind of pinned to a tree by the killer in in part five uh that's the that's the one that we're we're talking about there and speaking of 10 minutes prior to that we get uh, Deborah Sue Voorhees in there. Yes. Well, Who you mentioned, Mark, as your yes. favorite of all the girls. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I totally get it. Her body is amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things that I always, I was always kind of thought, and, and this was, again, me connecting the dots between things, but when Jason comes, every time Jason comes back to life, he seems to get even more and more aggressive. And I'm just wondering if it still kind of hurts when he gets killed and like it's painful for him to come back. And that's why he is more brutal and more mean and more mm. and seems to have more attitude. I, I don't know what you guys think about that. Or that's interesting. If, yeah, the well, idea uh, that like his physical suffering that he endures actually just you know, ramps up his desire to to cause pain to others because that's always what he's been doing. He's channeling his own pain and he's inflicting it on others. Yeah. Well, and uh, one of the slightly dumb things that kind of stuck out to me in Seven was that he would grunt in in in, re, in, in reaction to getting hurt. And and, uh, and by Seven, like, you mean um, the the one with the telekinetic girl, of course, where he's, yeah. he's long dead. Yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, there there are a couple of times where he goes Ugh, or uh, I'm like, wait, aren't you a zombie? Are you? <laughs> but but uh, I, I mean, you know, it's magic. It's a horror movie. What, what, what made that came to mind? Oh, just because he was hurting, supposedly. Yeah, yeah, it's like I, I, you know, I mean, if he gets punched or kicked or something, I, I like, I, you know, the one that sticks out to me is when she kind of pushes him down the steps and he hits his head on a light bulb, you know, stuff like that. And he goes. Two, three, and four, that would make complete sense. And now I'm just like, why, huh? But, right. Mike, it's it's more Return of the Living Dead zombie as opposed to Night of the Living Dead zombie. Right. Yeah. Remember that uh, that redheaded half zombie on the on the autopsy, autopsy table in Return of the Living Dead when she's like, it hurts. So, so, so many brilliant, brilliant things about yeah. that movie. And that's yeah. just one of the many, many brilliant scenes. Another another podcast, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> maybe our next podcast will be all about great zombie films. Yeah, I'm sure there are tons of them. But, yeah, uh, that would keep us and, going, and tons of bad ones as well. Yeah, so. yeah. well, great, great is a word that you know can have many different connotations. Quality <laughs> is not necessarily associated with it. Uh, <laughs> so um, I don't think Mike, you gave your favorite kill. I was thinking while you guys were talking, and I, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, like Vic, yeah, like you said, it's it's easy to go, ah, oh, well, sleeping bag is, is probably the funniest, um, and I, I, you know, there, there are a couple others that kind of stand out for being humorous uh, in eight when he punches that dude's head off. You know, it was a lot of fun, but you know, I mean, is there a favorite? 
is our favorite. A favorite. And what, what does that mean in that context? Is my favorite kill or where I find it the most entertaining or like the most, you know, Vic, it was interesting that, that you squirmed during five. And so I, I would I would actually go back to two and uh, the guy, the guy in the wheelchair mm-hmm. gets uh, the machete in the head. It's both a really entertaining, like crowd pleasing kind of beat. When the wheelchair goes down the steps, I, I, and, uh, you know, it kept showing up in the, you know, rehashes that they did before, you know, before the credits. Um, but at the same time, I, mean, as I've thoroughly discussed and, and past podcasts, like that one kind of makes me cringe because I was so rooting for that character. Like they really put some time into developing that guy. And not only does he get killed, like basically for the hooting animals and the, in the in the audience, you know, for their amusement, but it, it also becomes it comes really suddenly. Like he's just kind of sitting there, and he turns around and whack, he's just kind of gone. And that's the one that really stands out. Yeah, yeah, I I think that that's cool that you brought that up because I remember us discussing that one in in great detail, and I think that it's a tribute to the quality of it as as cinema that they did replay it ad nauseum in all of the previously on Friday the 13th, um, you know, pre pre credits roles. Uh, and I know one character that I, there's one character that I wish they wouldn't have killed, um, which was uh, crazy Ralph. I think it was really a missed opportunity that he was only around for those first two episodes. It just felt like he knew something a little bit more than what he was telling. And we really didn't get to, find out about what Ralph was all about. Um, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I, I felt like that, that was, you know, they spent, you know, a hundred bucks to make a quarter, you know, it's an okay. Mm-hmm. And even, even his death is just kind of okay. Just kind of gets his throat slit and he's just kind of gone. It's like, what? Yeah. yeah, it's very throwaway. Uh, yeah. He very yeah. much like repeats his lines from the first movie basically. Um, and then, then he's peeping in on some girl getting undressed and that's basically all that really he gets. But um, it's just, he's, he's that iconic. I mean, and that character has showed up in so many other movies. I mean, even like cabin in the woods had an old guy just kind of foretelling doom uh, to them. And there's always that character. And I think in part three, I think they kind of had another guy with the eyeball. They did shoved it right in the screen. That, that would have been crazy Ralph if, um, if they just wouldn't have killed him in that other episode. And so it's just, it's just too bad. I think that that was that again, that's that sense of, uh, Crystal Lake, the city or, or the town of Crystal Lake, um, that just that kind of um, town, local towny character that I think it does add a lot to the to the series. I still it, it wonder is. what he was doing in that pantry, though, like in the first movie, <laughs> <laughs> inventorying their produce, their canned goods. Although, you know, I am kind of touching on that old guy, you know, the, in three, you know, just the idea that I mean that there will always be a harbinger. I, I you know, I, as they call him in the cabin in the woods is, uh, you know, that the evil force of Crystal Lake, whatever resides there, um, has this this desire to have like kind of a Renfield character mm-hmm. around, you know, I, either that or like, you know, strong evils just kind of create guys like this or it in indulges them it enjoys having an audience it's like you know what you are too pathetic to cause me any harm so i'll give you a peek into what i'm really doing and yeah. go ahead tell everyone tell them all what you've seen they're no not going to believe anyway. you 
Yeah, yeah kind of like the, the old man who's, uh, you know, the, the hermit who's kind of mentioned in, in conversation in uh, the Blair Witch Project who's never seen, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I like the idea. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that that evil will kind of create these little Renfield characters that are driven insane by their knowledge and they try to tell people and no one believes them. Well, guys, it's it's been a true pleasure. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let everyone know who's listening, what you're up to, and where they can find your work. Uh, well, I'm always on Ain't It Cool News. Every Friday, I post a AICN horror column um, where I review uh, new, old, um, kind of uh, kind of obscure films. A lot of indie films um, that are all about horror um, and. Or just kind of like genre aspects. I mean, I've gone into the like sci-fi and things like that. But um, I do that every week, and um, I try to watch at least ten movies a week to try to keep up keep up with all of that stuff. Um, which sometimes I get there, other times I don't. Um, I also do another podcast called Cannibal Horror Cast, um, which I'm about to do in about twenty minutes here. <laughs> um, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about Alice, Sweet Alice, and uh, the Final Girls, which are our two. Kind of vastly different movies, but um, yeah, we always we always uh, talk about one classic horror film and one new horror film. So um, those are the two that we're covering this week. And also on Ain't It Cool, I'm counting down uh, to the number one um, horror movie of the year. Um, I we celebrate uh, AICN Horror's birthday in October because that's when the, October first was the first time I posted on Ain't It Cool um, that column and um we count down from 31 to number one and at the end uh i named the number one horror movie of the year and at least from my perspective and it's it's always uh hotly debated in the talkbacks on on how much of an idiot i am or or how accurate i am (laughs) one of the two um there's no real in between there but um and at the at the same time i also uh have been writing some comics i um did a recently did a comic called pirouette through black mask and that will be out through comicsology uh very soon it will be available online and i also write uh the jungle book which is a uh, it's kind of a more uh adventure-esque uh game of thrones with animals action version of the rudyard kipling story and i do that through zenoscope so um Keeping busy, and I have a couple other horror projects that I'm working on in comics that I can't really talk about yet, but I'm really excited about, so they're going to be coming up soon. So, wow. so yeah. Cool, and, man. And, and I just really wanted to kind of recognize um, you guys because um, I really, I've listened to some of the other um, Friday the 13th uh, podcasts, and you're the... Your podcast is definitely the most in-depth. It's the most intelligent. It's You guys have... You guys have the insider kind of track since you're all screenwriters and you're all very smart and talented people yourselves. And you bring so much to this, just to, to this series. It made me want to go back and rewatch um, episodes. Um, wow. So it's definitely um, an honor to kind of be on this podcast. It was, it's really great. And this has been a great show. I've, I've listened to every episode and uh, it's been fantastic. Wow. Thanks a lot, Mark. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's really the, the best thing we could hear is that it makes people want to go back and watch these movies again. Uh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. And it's just been great getting to meet you, you know, as someone that's respected your work and really, you know, pays attention to what you say. Uh, it really means a lot to us that you would join us. So thanks so much. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, good luck. And I really can't wait to hear what you guys are going to do next. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. But um, yeah, be sure to keep me keep me in, in keep in touch with me. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be posting this on Ain't a Cool News when it's done as well, uh, when you guys post it. So we can kind of double up on the, the readership or awesome <laughs> listenership or whatever it is. So. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll be in touch, and we'll let you know what's next for the It's Always Friday the 13th podcast. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening.